Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. It's good to be with you guys this evening. Uh, We're in a gospel series, which means that we're looking at the gospel. And we used this um, metaphor last week, Mariah used it, of a diamond. And if, if you look at a diamond, as you spin the diamond, you see the different facets of the diamond, the flat faces within the cut of the diamond. And each of those faces refract light in unique ways in different angles, into different spaces, and even different colors. And I've heard this metaphor, I don't remember where I picked it up, but I heard this metaphor of the the gospel is like a diamond. It's not just one thing, there's these multiple facets to the gospel. And so what we're doing is, in this series, we're spinning the gospel to look at the different refractions of light and truth. We're spinning the gospel to see the different facets of beauty. And and so tonight, I want to start with a moment from the life of Jesus when John the Baptist first sees Jesus. All these people are getting baptized by John. Jesus shows up, and here's what John the Baptist says. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, pay attention to that, who takes away the sin of of the world. Now, in our context, we have to imagine, like, like some of you grew up in church, like, I think I know where he's going, but if you didn't, imagine how strange this is. The lamb, he's a human, but he's a lamb of God, and this lamb has the ability to remove sin. What is John talking about? Well, what I want to talk about tonight is what he's talking about, which is the atonement. The atonement. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar with Christian talk or you just need a little bit of a refresher, the atonement is the term that we use to describe how, everybody say that, how Jesus made us right with God. How did he actually do it? Now, if you remember uh, from a couple weeks back, we talked about what righteousness is. Seems like a loaded term, seems like a term even that could be lost in, you know, the true meaning of it could be lost in the folds of uh, Christianese. But we had a very simple definition for what righteousness uh, is from last week, and it's this. Righteousness is to be right with someone. It's very simple. What does it mean to be righteous? It means that you're right with someone. And we thought of the example of a landlord. So imagine that you're a renter, and you skip a couple months without paying rent to your landlord. You probably don't want to just bump into your landlord outside of chapters. (laughs) You're like, I'm not right with them because I haven't actually paid for two months. So I kind of prefer to, you're like dodging their calls, dodging their emails. Why? Because you're not right with them. And so to be righteous, what does it mean to be righteous? It means that you're in right relationship with God, and you would love to run into him anywhere. In fact, you're looking for it because you're right with him. Some of you are right with him, but you don't believe you're right with with him, and so you're afraid of running into him, and tonight he's gonna set you free from that so that you wanna see him everywhere. It's gonna be very, very good. Now, simply put, the atonement answers this question. How did Jesus do that? Like, how did he actually go about making us right 
with God. How does Jesus take away sin? Where does the sin go? Uh, what does he do with it? So turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Uh, Titus is in the New Testament. It's a letter written to Titus. It's written by Paul. And Paul calls Titus uh, his spiritual son. He's like, to my son in the faith. So this is, this is a guy who Paul mentored, a guy who Paul knew. And uh, the context of, the, of the, the book isn't as important tonight. I just want to get to uh, this, this, this moment where he really explains the, what I think is the atonement in uh, Titus chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 3. And uh, we're going to begin in verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Here's what Paul says. He says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. I love that. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Such a fabulous passage. Like, that's a good verse right there. If you don't have that written down somewhere, write it down somewhere, put it in your car, put it on your mirror, something like that. Uh, and what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna go through it. Because maybe you got lost in some of, the, some of the language a little bit. We're gonna actually unpack it. Um, but to get there, I wanna start with this question. Why the atonement? Why do we even need an atonement? Why do we even need somebody to die for us? I don't know if you've ever been, you know, evangelizing and somebody's asked you that question, like, why even, why does he have to die? It seems so extreme. And uh, I, I think that the reason why that question is prevalent today is that here's the belief cult on a cultural level today. The belief is this. Humans are not intrinsically bad or good. Humans are malleable. So there's no such thing as innate goodness or innate badness. Humans are malleable, and they are largely shaped by the structures around them. So, so, so this is why you hear all this language in our current day about structure. We need to tear that structure down. We need to tear this thing down. We need to stop that structure. It's the people at the top of the hierarchy that are the bad, tax the rich. All of it is this idea that if we could change the structures, we could get a good society. Humans are malleable. They're not good or bad. If we get the right structures, if we get more equitable structures, we'll get good people. The less equitable of a structure, we will get bad results as a society. And so you think about this, like what, the reason why the atonement and why that's a, even a question today is that it, with that way of thinking, humans have no need of personal repentance. They simply need to correct the structures and people will become good. This is also why, I mean, you just look around. There's no such thing as, like, forgiveness in our culture anymore, and it's because we have no way of atoning for sin. There's no way of forgiving somebody without destroying them. It's like, there was a wrong, and we need to pay that wrong back fully, if not even more, because we don't believe in atonement. But this, this, what's going on in our culture is not what the Bible says, okay? 
Sometimes it's like easy. You look at it, you're like, oh, I guess that, yeah, equity and equality, that makes sense. No, no, no. That is not what the Bible says. It isn't. What the Bible says is that humans are not cogs in a grand machine that you can just kind of take out and replace, and as long as the machine is good, humans will function correctly. No. The, the Genesis chapter 1 says humans are free agents that have the ability to shape their world with their choices. You have responsibility for your life. You have res- there, it's like, what, hang on a second. Are there things in my life that have shaped me? Yeah, yeah, there are things that have shaped you, but you still have a choice. You still have a choice. Like, like why, why the atonement? Well, look at what humans have done. Verse three, look back down at your Bibles. At one time, and, and just think, like, does this resonate with you? At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. This, this just so stuck out to me this week, guys. We lived in malice and envy, this passage, being hated and hating one another. Like, how do we live in our culture? Oh, I'm just hated, and I hate. We, we chose, it's like, why do we need atonement? Well, because humans have chosen to allow passions to rule them, and we hated others because they had what we didn't. You're like, why is our culture so crazy right now? Oh, it's just envy. It's hatred. It's the passions have ruled people. They've given themselves over to the passions. And so now when they see people who have the things that, they've, that their passions have made them hungry for and they don't have it, they're envious, they're jealous, and they think the whole thing needs to change so they can get it. Notice what isn't in here. <laughs> Structures. It's about you personally. The problem with society isn't the man. It's like the man got me down. No, no, no. The problem with society is the man in the mirror. It's you. And I think this, this, this passage like so stu- stood out to me this week because I think this is how people practically feel. Like, yeah, that feels like society. That feels like the culture. That honestly, in the past couple months, that feels like Newburgh. It's like, man, this needs to be taken care of. So what did God do? Well, here's the good news. Look down your Bibles, verse four. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Everybody say Kindness kindness. How is he going to shape society? How is he going to change us? But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. (laughs) Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And then in the passage, he gets specific about the three methods that God uses to save us. So the first thing he says is he saved us through the washing of rebirth. You're like, what's the solution to, the, to verse 3? The washing of rebirth. Now, pay attention to that word washing, um, but let me take you on a little bit of, of a journey, and then we're going to end back on that washing word. Jesus was called a lamb. Why? Why is Jesus called a lamb? Well, remember, Jesus isn't just a random guy who just like plopped down in the middle of, of the world and, you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus is a Jew, Jesus grew up Jewish. He grew up in the traditions of Israel, as did John the Baptist. And so what John saw, he saw something that nobody else saw, which is this. To deal with the stain of sin, humanity needed a very uh, perfect, a very effective sacrifice. That's what humans needed. They needed, and and I I want you to think about that. They needed an effective sacrifice. It's like, well, did they not have effective sacrifices in the Levitical code? Well, hang on a second. 
The reason why he would think about that is that the, the, that Jews uh, throughout the year would come to the temple when they sinned, and they would sacrifice animals and lambs. Um, they would kill them as a way of taking care of and cleansing their lives from sin. Lambs were killed by the sinner and then placed on the altar to God. And, and here's why. Leviticus kind of explains this a little bit. So Leviticus chapter 4 says this. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. Now, notice this. It's not the priest who kills the lamb. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. In this way, the priest will make atonement, there's our word, for them, for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. It's a covering of sin. It's a, it's a pain, in a sense, for sin. That lamb costs something. Its life was taken from it. But it's more than just forgiveness of sins because um, it, it's actually a covering from death. So remember, um, back to the Exodus, what are the Israelites instructed to do as, as the, the, um, you know, the spirit of death goes through the camp? They're to take lamb's blood and to wash it over their doorposts as a sign that they were washed in the blood of the lamb and death passed by. It did not affect their families like it did other families. This is atonement. We're building our theology of atonement. What is it? It's forgiveness of sins and it's a, it's a covering from death. Okay, it's pretty good news so far. It's gonna get even better. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're a little squeamish or you're, all the substitutionary atonement of your childhood upbringing is, is triggering you. The deconstruction's beginning again. Hang on a second, pump the brakes um, because this, is really matter. this really matters. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's like in the Bible, okay? So um, why all the blood? Why all the blood? It's so gruesome. I actually, Samuel Gorell, you, you, I, I remember this. You killed lambs at your house, in your garage. You live in the greens, dude, and you have lambs in your garage being killed. I remember Robert telling me about that. And it just so I know this isn't for you. You're good with the blood. But for the rest of us, I just remembered that. I was like, oh my gosh, in the greens. Like, what? Um, so like, why all the, bl why all the blood? Yeah, and he fed his family. It wasn't for sacrifice. That's true. Actually, and it was for, it was for, it was for Robert and Lexi's wedding. So it was a very beautiful thing, guys. It, he doesn't just kill lambs to kill lambs, okay? Nobody call anybody. He's a good guy. So, so why all the blood, though? Well, like, why? It's a symbol of just how serious sin is. It's a symbol of what it will take for liberation. Like, you've got to imagine this. You, standing next to a lamb, your hand on the lamb's head, you cutting the lamb's throat so that the lamb, and you, you're there as the lamb loses its strength and dies as its lifeblood is you know, poured out on the ground beneath your feet. That lamb is innocent. You know you're guilty, but now you've been forgiven. Sin is so serious that it requires blood. We do not take sin that serious anymore. But sin is so serious that it requires blood. And that sacrifice is a reminder of just how serious it is to vandalize the shalom of God, to, to do serpent stuff, when his mission for you is that you would bring heaven on earth. So, go back to John. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Whoa. Instantly we're thinking Leviticus. Instantly we're thinking Exodus. A human lamb. Why do we need a human lamb? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10 describes why. This is just so powerful, guys. That Levitical code, that Levitical cutting of the lamb's throat, all of that stuff, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect. Everybody say, make perfect. Those who draw near to worship otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? Okay, let's not get lost for a second. What he's saying, the author of Hebrews, or what she's saying, who knows, the author of Hebrews, what they are saying is this. If the, if the cutting of the lamb's throat was so effective, it would have stopped being offered. It was not effective. It didn't make people perfect. It's not an effective sacrifice if it doesn't make people perfect. That's what's being said. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed. There's our word, cleansed. Once for all. And would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Because can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Lamb after lamb, atoning for the sins of your family. You would be reminded. (laughs) You would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now pause. Here's what this is saying. There's a problem with animal sacrifice. It doesn't get rid of sin, it just covers it. It doesn't fully take care of it, it just covers it. If only there was a perfect sacrifice that could really remove sin, like fully cleanse people from sin and make people perfect. Well, the author continues. Next slide. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, that's a a nice but right there. But, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, this is such a good, oh man. Let's all read this together. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's really good news. This atonement of Jesus and what it accomplishes is just beautiful. Jesus is the lamb. He becomes the perfect sacrifice, which makes us perfect. And thinking about all of this, here's what John says in First John uh, 1, chapter, or verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. He saved us. What does this passage say? Look back down at your Bibles. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. What are we being, what is the rebirth though? What are we being born uh, into? What is that rebirth? It's being born back to Eden. It's being human again. Have you ever noticed that what God does in Eden by breathing, he, he, he brings humans to life through breathing? Have you ever noticed that it's the same thing he does when he gives his spirit? It's breathing. What is he doing? He's recreating humans. Washing of rebirth. So that we can see his kingdom desires for our town, for our families. 
without sin getting in the way of that vision. That's what atonement means. Now, no more reminders of sin. Sin is dead. So you get to live your life not thinking about it, but thinking about the kindness and love of God, allowing that to be your motivation. I'm going to talk about that next week. Now, back to Titus. Uh, Verse 5. That was the longest point. It's going to get a little bit quicker from here. I see some of you falling asleep. You know who you are. Okay, uh, verse 5 says this. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I just want to say this about this point because it's so important. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's what we've been experiencing this evening. You cannot be really alive without the Holy Spirit. You are not really human unless you have the Holy Spirit. You are a shell of what God intends for his people. He is intended for you to carry his breath, to carry his name. You know, this is just a beautiful thing, but the, the, the name Yahweh is the, is the, it's the, it's an inhale and an exhale. Yahweh, Yahweh. That's what it is. And so he has intended you to have his spirit in you, his name upon you, that you would walk in that kind of relationship, that kind of closeness with that kind of authority. Because of the atonement, every person is now able to have the Spirit of God. Verse 6 says this. Through the renewal of the, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. Thank you, Lord, for that. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Lastly, justified by his grace. How does the atonement work out? Well, he justified us by his grace. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? I think essentially being justified means this. Life without God, if you're living without God, your life will be a search for meaning. You will be looking and trying to find purpose everywhere you go. And you will be looking for a reason, a justification for your life in the midst of this chaotic world. But with God, when you are in relationship with God, your life can really mean something. If purpose and order come from his voice in creation, remember he orders, we've been talking about this the past couple couple months now. Uh, If purpose and order comes from his voice in creation, then it does the same in our lives today. You want purpose, you want a, a reason for living, come to him. He'll give you one you can really have an eternal purpose. That's one level. Now, there's also another level, and it's the moral level. What does it mean to be justified? Well, it means this. The sacrifice of Jesus makes us right before God. It justifies us in a legal sense before God. There's this kind of legal idea behind it. Where we weren't right, God made us right. How? Well, just by his grace. Justified by his grace. He made a decision to justify those who want it. And he goes even further. He's like, I'm not just going to make you right with me so that we're cool. I'm going to make you an error. So it's almost like this. Like, imagine a courtroom in your mind, and you are on trial for committing a crime. You committed a crime. And you know that you're, you're guilty. You know no matter what the jury says, you are still going to live with that guilt. And here's what the judge does. The judge says, I'm forgiving your crime. You're, you're right before me. You're right before this court. But I'm also writing you into my will. You're like, What? That's what this is saying. He, you've been, listen, verse seven, having been justified by his grace, we might become what? Heirs. Having the hope of eternal life. I mean, can you exaggerate God's love? Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. Here's the point of this, of this passage. 
It was by his grace. You didn't pray a good prayer. You didn't give the right amount to church or help your friend or the homeless in such a way that uh, God said, wow, now that is a just person. Their life really has a reason. I'm, okay, you're justified before me. No, no one has ever been able to do that. It was God who in his grace made being just even possible. And he gave your life a reason. No, you have a reason and here's what it is. It's connection to me and it's that you would bear fruit through the hosting of my presence throughout your life. That's good news. Now, that's the atonement. <clears throat> and, and what I'm a little bit more concerned with and how I want to shift gears for the rest of this is I, I think all of that, like even what it says here, it says, you know, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. It's like beautiful. We, are, we have an inheritance in heaven. But my question is this. What does the atonement mean for me today? What does it practically mean for how I live my life? What is the practical side of the atonement? And I think there are really two, there, there's multiple things, but okay, give me a break. We only have so much time, and many of you are like sleeping for whatever reason. Um, so uh, there are two things. That's it. You only have to make it through two. Two things tonight. Yes. Can we like two things? Yes. Uh, yeah, sometimes we got to clap. I don't know what else to do. It's kind of warm in here. Maybe we could hit the AC or something. There are two things that we get to experience today because of the atonement. And the first is this. The atonement kills our self-righteousness. It kills our self-righteousness. I recently heard a Flannery O'Connor quote that went like this. One of her characters said this. I had always known the best way to avoid Jesus was by avoiding sin. Think about that. I had always known the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. What is she saying in this story? <laughs> She's saying this, the best way to avoid giving yourself fully to Jesus so that you lose control is by being good enough so that you don't have to. It's, I don't want to be in need of you, Jesus. That would just look, I mean, there were people up here dancing and laying on the ground. That looks so foolish. I don't want to be in that in need of you. I want to be just kind of in need of you. Just like kind of in need. I kind of need you. I always thought that was funny when people like one hand in the pocket, one hand raised. It's like I'm kind of into this. Or uh, I remember back in the day, I used, to, I used to go to this uh, young adult ministry and people would be like this. They'd be like this. Praise hands, but they're doing this. Just kind of looking around. It's like, what do you, okay, that's kind of funny. Um, it's like, I don't want to be super in need of you I like you as a teacher, but Savior, I'm actually not so sure about. And so the best way to avoid that humiliation of, of laying myself down before you, coming to the feet of your cross, saying, I give up control of my life to you, is by doing the right thing. That is self-righteousness. That's what it is. It's, it's I'm pretty good, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not like them. Um, it's like... They probably need you more than I need you. I mean, you really blessed me, okay? And it is the religion of our culture. <laughs> like, what is, the, what is the current spirit of the age? It's self-righteousness. Uh, the other day, I think we were at the beach or something. I'm in this public restroom, and there's this hand dryer. There's no, okay, you got somebody, half the church is going to leave when I say this, but whatever. Um, I don't like hand dryers. I want paper towels. It's like, there's a lot of trees. Here, want paper towels. Um, you're like, what a, gosh, conservative Christians. Um, no, I just want paper towels. 
I just want paper towels. Okay, so, but all that's there is a hand dryer. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll use the hand dryer. But you always, you, next thing you know, you have like your pants or what, because you have to dry them somewhere. <laughs> so I go to the hand dryer, hit the hand dryer, put my hands underneath the, the dryer. I'm, you know, doing the thing. And on the hand dryer, it says, you are saving trees by using this hand dryer. And we're so surrounded by this that we're always, I mean, we live in Oregon. It's like, okay. I see that everywhere. It's like, you know, do you ever go to this? Do you ever have the, the water bottle filler upper that tells you how many water bottles you've saved? You're like, this gym has saved one million plastic water bottles by you using this water bottle thing. So it says it, and I, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I pause and I think, why is it telling me this? Why is the hand dryer speaking to me <laughs> about how many trees I've saved? The hand dryer in the bathroom is telling me that I'm good because I used it. I say I did something virtuous by using the hand dryer. <laughs> what is it doing? It's bestowing righteousness for using it. Why? The reason why is that companies have learned the most powerful motivator in humans is their religious impulse. Everybody wants to be righteous. Everybody wants to be, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I know I'm a good person. I grew up in the era of sex cells. Do you remember, like, I remember my mom's like, we are not going to Abercrombie and Fitch because you know, you, you know what they have in their magazines and, you know, all that stuff. There's some bombs in the back. Yeah, you remember that? No Abercrombie. Um, it's totally different now. But, but, but I grew up in this era of sex cells. Sex was everywhere. And it still is to, to a large part. But companies are realizing what is a stronger motivator than sex is religion. What companies are cluing into I think, I think we're, in a, we're in a whole new era. We're in the righteousness cells era. And what companies are cluing into is the fact that people want to know that they're better than other people. They, they want people, like what companies are realizing is that people want a justification for their lives and they have the power to trick people into thinking that they can give it to them. It's knowing for certain I'm good because I used the dryer because, instead of the paper towels. I'm good. No, I did a good thing today. And maybe it sounds kind of silly. You're like, what? Did Jesus go to the cross for that? Like, that sounds a little bit silly, like kind of trite, or, or a little bit like um, maybe even flippant. No, no, no. Self-righteousness will kill you. It will kill you. Here's how self-righteousness works. This isn't my own thing. This is somebody else's, but it just, it like was, it was mind-bending when I realized this. Here's how self-righteousness works. Uh, you feel badly about yourself, the things that you've done in the past. It's like, I know that I've actually done wrong. So I need the hand dryer. I know I've done wrong. And the devil whispers that God won't accept you. He won't accept you because you have lived a sinful life. He then lies to you that if you compare yourself to someone who you think is worse, you will feel better about yourself. But in fact, you feel worse. Because to the degree you judge, you will be judged. Your judgment on them puts you in chains. And with every judgment, you are placing another chain on yourself. And the lie of self-righteousness is that your chains are actually symbols of your virtue. You begin to cherish your chains because they stand as marks that at least you're not like them. That's how self-righteousness works. And it shrinks you. And it makes you tight. And it makes you take yourself so seriously. And it kills you. 
Look at what Paul says in verse five. He says this, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. He, let's say it together. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. The gospel, what, what the gospel says is that no one gets saved because of them. People get saved because of him. And they recognize, I need him. See, if people were saved because of what they did, then a spiritual hierarchy would develop. Those who were in through their goodness were favored by God, and then there would be those who were out because of their badness, and they were not favored by God. When I think about this, what is so stunning to me is that Jesus comes so lowly. Does he not? So lowly. He's born to poor people. He's born in a horrible age. He's born under a racist military occupation. God's like, when should I come into history? That time. What family should I go to? That family. The one where everybody's gonna think this is because of, my birth was because of an affair. That's the one. That's the family that I'm gonna go to. Here's what he's saying. If the method is the message, here's the message. Jesus is available to whoever can go low. No one will be in because of their goodness or their wealth. It will be because they've given up both so that Jesus can be their righteousness and their inheritance. If you already have an inheritance, if you already have wealth, what do you need his for? It's when you recognize nothing will save me but you. You have to be in need, so are you? (laughs) Are you? I want to tell you, that the atonement will set you free from the self-justifying and it will give you the mood of joy instead. Practically, it will give you the mood of joy. I I was on the phone with a friend of mine this week. Uh, He was actually one of my old youth students. And uh, so if you're listening to this, buddy, I won't say your name and embarrass you. But anyways, um, he, he, he called me and he was telling me about his life and just some recent developments. And he just found out that he's a trust fund kid. Wouldn't that be nice? I was like, you, uh, what? He's like, yeah, I had no idea. All my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents and my grandparents had all been putting money aside for me. And you know what? I have millions of dollars. I was like, what? I mean, listen, the testimony of Jesus, okay, spirit of prophecy, do it again. That's awesome. I was like, that's incredible. And he said, yeah, but the thing is, is that I mean, this kid, is he's literally 21 years, year, years old. He's like, I just bought a house in, in Los Angeles. I'm like, you don't even live in Los Angeles. He's like, I know, but I thought it'd be a good investment. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Buddy, I know a place where you can give, and it is called St. Hill Church. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you're going to tithe on that inheritance of yours? Uh, so <laughs> I, I did not say that. But, but he, goes, he goes, yeah, he's like, it's, I guess it's okay. He's like, but the thing is this, I feel like bad is coming for me. He said, this great thing happened, but I just feel like I'm going to get a terminal illness or I'm going to get some kind of disease or something horrible is going to happen to me because, like, I don't know, God's going to be like, oh, he got too much and kind of whack me or something. <laughs> and, 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 I'm, and I'm like, I'm like you, know, you know what you're discovering? You're discovering your worldview. Like, you're discovering what kind of skies you live under. Like, is it the capricious whack-a-mole God up there? Is that who lives up there? Like, what sort of skies do you live under? Verse four. But when the kindness 
and love of God our Savior appeared. He's not whacking, he's wooing. He's not whack. yeah, that's the right response. He's not whacking, he's wooing. He's like, come closer, I have good for you. I have good for you. What was God's, you're like, I don't believe you. Okay, hang on. What was God's intention? How, how, when, God, when God was like, how do I save the world after Noah? What did he do? He's like, Abraham, come here, I'm gonna bless you. We need to be, we need to be enjoying God's blessing. We need to be asking for God to bless us. There's in, in, in Psalm 67, it says uh, that when God blesses, he will, he will bring about the fear of God around the people who he blesses. We should be saying, God, bless me. Bless me. It is what, bless me with your presence. Bless me with abundance in my relationships. Bless me with health, God. Bless me that people would know that you have placed, a, that I'm one, I'm one of Abraham's. That I'm a part of that family. Bless me. God is not whacking. He's not trying to whack us. The atonement tells us that he's wooing, even if it hurts him. Even if it hurts him. This is God's desire. Let's all say this together. Let's all read this out. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That's his intention for you. It's for you to be an heir. It's for you to have the Holy Spirit generously poured out on you. It is for good. Why were you saved? What is his will? It's blessing. It's inheritance. It's a generous pouring of the Holy Spirit. It's enjoying the presence of God forever. That's why. God wants good for you. Put your hand over your heart. Say this. God wants good for me. Say it like you mean it. God wants good for me. Okay, I'm going to say it, then you say it. God wants good for me. There you go. Put your hand on your neighbor. Put your hand on your neighbor and say, God wants good for you. Say it again. God wants good for you. Yeah. Go ahead and even with your hand on your neighbor right now, just begin to bless them and say, God, pour out your blessing on them. Would, you, would they get more than what they think that you can do? More than what they th- imagine that you can do? Just say, bless them really good, God. Give them more than what they've asked you for, more than what they've expected. Would you pour yourself out on them? Jesus' name. Yeah, that's good. That's, a good that's, a, that's what we should be doing in church right there. We should be praying for the blessing of one another. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Um, go ahead and, and um, we're, I'm going to kind of veer a little bit. Uh, if any, does anybody ha- know anybody who's sick terminally or know anybody who has really a serious health condition in their life right now that you're concerned about? Anybody know somebody up there, down here? Anybody else, somebody over there? Okay, if you're, if, would you extend hands? There's, keep your hands up and just extend a hand over to them and just say healing in Jesus' name. There's somebody right over here as well. Healing in Jesus' name over who you know, whether it's a family member or a friend. We know that God intends good. God wants to bring about healing. He paid for it on the cross. Isaiah 53 says that by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you cared enough about humanity that you would go to the cross for us, that you would make atonement for us in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name. There's a, um, I wanna, I wanted to end by this. Um, there's a, uh, a moment in Genesis chapter 15, and before I had read this and really understood it, I don't think I understood the gospel. 
In Genesis 15, um, Abraham says, you know, he's been walking with God for a few years now. And he says, you know, how do I know that you're really going to bless me with children? How do I know, like, you've been saying this. How many of you guys, you've lived with a promise and you're like, I don't know. Like, how, do I, how am I going to know that you actually are good and have good for me? And here's what God says to him. He says, I want you to take birds and animals, and I want you to kill them and cut them in half. Like, more blood. Okay. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to make an aisle with them. I want you to make an aisle. Now, we don't know what's going on, but what Abraham understood was going on is this is how, in ancient Israel, you made a covenant. Do you know what a covenant is? A covenant is where you say, I will be to you as I should be, even if you are not to me as you should be. That's a covenant. I will be to you as I should be, even if you are not to me as you should be. So he, he, he sets up this aisle, and here's what he's saying. He's saying this. We're going to walk through this aisle. Abraham's going to walk through it. God's going to go through it. And what we're saying is, as we make this covenant, the covenant is this, I will bless you, Abraham. As we make this covenant, what we're saying is, if either party fails to hold up to their end of the bargain, fails to hold up to their end of the covenant, may we be like these animals. That's how serious the covenant is. God takes blessing really serious. And so he, so he lines up these animals, and the next thing that happens is it says that God puts Abraham to sleep. He's like, what? I thought he was gonna walk through it and say, you know, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, following you, obeying you, trusting you, that I would be like, no, 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 he puts him to sleep. And lo and behold, God comes down and he goes through the middle of the aisle and he says, the covenant's enough. It's done. What, what he's saying there is this. God is saying, I will be to you as I, should be, as I should be, even if you are not to me, as you should be. And lo and behold, humanity has failed to obey. We have, Israel, time and time again, has failed to, be, to, to trust God, failed to follow him. And what happened? Jesus was torn apart like those animals so that we could be made whole, so that we could be blessed. That's good news. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website. 